trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river, I hope somebody knows that, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, pathway. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, church. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Can we stand as I lead us in a time of prayer? We lift up our hands in praise and we enter into your courts with thanksgiving. And we ask, Lord God, that you get the glory out of everything. That it's your name, Jesus, that be lifted up. We thank you, Lord God, if we're in Christ today, for the hope that's found in the gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for our sins being forgiven. We thank you for the fact that you have removed them from as far as the east is from the west. We thank you that you've blotted out all of our iniquities. And though our sins are like crimson. You have made us white as snow. Thank you for this righteousness, which is now ours, that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our confidence. This is our hope. It's found not in ourselves and what we offer you. It's found in you and what you've already offered us. And that's your son, the greatest gift imaginable. And I pray, Lord God, as we enter into this time, May we do so mindful of both who you are and all that you've accomplished on our behalf. God, we love you. We love you, God, but that's only because you first loved us. You first loved us, God. We glorify you. Hallelujah. We praise you. We worship you during this hour. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand so that you may exalt us in due time. God, you are worthy of it all. This is why our lips speak of your praises. This is why our hearts well up in worship. This is why our lives have been entrusted into your hands, because you're worthy of it. We thank you for these things, Father. We give you glory, God. We're your disciples, Lord Jesus. We want to live for you. We want to live with a view toward you. We want people to look at our lives and say, wow, doesn't Jesus look good? Isn't Jesus amazing? And so do a work, Lord God, we pray, through this time of worship, in one heart after another. We thank you for all these things, and we praise you. It's in your son's name that we pray. 
You know, it's amazing. I look back, I remember those first, that first decade as a Christian. You know, in those 20s, those college years and beginning young adult life. Maybe this wasn't you, but for me, this was the case. And that was, I had thought, as soon as you come to Christ, I came to Christ in college. And even though I had a Christian background and I had people who loved the Lord, family who loved the Lord, if the truth be told, I really wasn't saved. I may have been in the church, but I wasn't saved. I may have been around a lot of saved people, but I myself was not saved. I just got to be honest with you. And it wasn't until I reached the age 20 that God got a hold of me, out of the house, on my own, and having had a chance to just taste and see that that wasn't good. It's not, not the other verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good, not that one. That the world wasn't good. But I had thought, I had the impression at least, and maybe I got somebody here who could relate with me, that when I gave my life to Jesus, the moment I would give my life to Jesus, everything would just be like smooth. And it would just go as planned because that was my problem after all, wasn't it? My life was still in my own hands. And so, Neb, what you need to do is you need to entrust that life into Jesus' hands. And then everything's just going to be fine. No struggles, no, no temptations, no challenges, and no weeks that you just didn't see coming. Everything was just going to go until I realized that even Christians go through some stuff. That even Christians encounter and face temptations and trials of various sorts. That just because I got saved didn't exempt me from all of the stuff that we see going on in the world. In fact, if you know what? If the truth be told, it kind of feels like it got amped up a little bit after I gave my life to Jesus. Anybody out there that could relate? It's like, what? What is this? Now that I publicly identify with being a Christian, all of a sudden, I got all sorts of stuff just coming at me, left and right. And I'm like, whoa, where is this coming from? It was like spiritual jiu-jitsu, if you will. And you just feel like you're just tapping out every time, every time. This again? I'm like, this can't be what the Christian life is about. This can't be what I signed up for. Oh, no, I'm going, I'm almost tempted to want to go back. You know, what's interesting is the people of God all throughout God's history have had to face this exact same thing. In fact, that's where we're going to be for today. I know if you've been with us for a while, we've had the chance to be in a series. And that series is actually through a book of the Bible, the book of Philippians. We're taking a break. Uh, for a couple of weeks from the book of Philippians to, to really explore what I believe God has for each and every single one of us. 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, if you got your Bibles. 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13 is where we're at. Two verses, 12 and 13. If you're there, you can just go on ahead and say amen. If not, not yet. We got a screen up for you just to help you out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Paul says there, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed 
lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. That's right. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, it could also be translated trial or test. Same word. It depends. So when the enemy, here's a little hint, a little Bible study clue. When Satan's behind it, it's a temptation. Okay? When God's behind it, it's a trial. All right? Just pocket that for just one moment. He goes on. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hallelujah. Amen? Paul is couching this particular uh, passage, these two verses, within a larger context. We don't have time for that. I would encourage you on your own time as you're studying God's word to go on ahead and start at the beginning of the passage and you'll notice that Paul takes this New Testament church, Corinth, and therefore us, Pathway, through a little history lesson. He takes them all the way back to the time of the Old Testament after the people of God had the chance by God's mercy, by God's grace, to be delivered out of the land of Egypt, but be brought through the wilderness. And this is this period of God's people's lives, their history, before they entered into the land of promise, Canaan, but after they had the chance to be delivered out of Egypt. It's this in-between season. Anybody in an in-between season right now? This whole world of yours, the entire Christian life, is best characterized as an in-between season. Don't go looking for it here. Let me just help you out right now. Don't look for it with her. I know you may have found her. It's only been two weeks at school, and you already think you're ready to build your life around her, right? She transferred from another city, and there she is. You got two classes together, and you're thinking, my life has changed. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Okay, don't, don't go looking for it with him. Don't go looking for it. Some of you just graduated and you got your first paycheck and it's like, wow, I never saw myself making this much. I'm a careerman or woman. Nope, it's not there either. Maybe some of you got married and you're thinking, this is where it's at, right? Or you got your first kid or two and it's like, ah, land of promise. No, it's not here. It's not here. In fact, that, that promise, that land is Jesus. Canaan is Jesus, and Israel failed, this is my point, to realize that. And so here they were with their hopes up, not buying a bit what Moses was trying to say. Leave Egypt and, and threaten and upset this Pharaoh? Who are you? You could barely talk. You're the leader. You're the one who's going to spearhead it. And how are we going to get to this place? Oh, he's going to part the sea like, like that, huh? And how are we going to be fed? Oh, from the, from the skies. Right. Really. How often? Every day. Okay. What about water? From a rock. Hmm. Not. We're going to stay right here. We may be slaves, but we know this. This is comfortable. We may not be free, but this is comfortable. This is familiar territory. Anybody know that? Right? As soon as you start stepping out and like, you know what? I'm about to kick this, whatever that is. I'm done with it. It ain't even doing me any good. I'm about to put it out. 
I'm about to put the bottle away. I'm about to tell her I'm done. I'm about to tell him it's over. This thing ain't working. It's been eight years, and you still haven't handed me a ring. If I was it, you would have known by now. I'm about to move forward, only to be drugged right back. Why? Because it's too familiar. It's familiar territory. That was Israel, right? 400 plus years they had lived in this land of slavery. Egypt is a picture of the world, right? We don't live in Egypt, literally. Our Egypt is the world. It's sin. It's everything that's familiar to us here and now outside of Jesus, outside of the blessings of the gospel. There they were. But by God's grace, God finally prevailed on these people through Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And here they were thinking, our answer, our hope, as soon as we get out of this place, it's going to be all smooth sailing. It's going to be good, only to find out what? One test after another test after another test after another trial. Huh? As soon as I get saved, as soon as I become a Christian, it's going to be good. As soon as we get out there, and here they are, it's like, yo, where's the land of promise? You told me it was flowing with milk and honey. You told me it was going to be all good. I didn't, I didn't sign up. Is this in the fine print? <laughs> I didn't hear any of this. This is part of the program. This is part of the package. And Moses has to take this to God. He's like, oh, God, they're complaining. I'm, uh, this, I don't know what to do. And what ended up happening was the people of God ended up turning their hearts away from God in terms of who he was, how he revealed himself, and his provision, his provision. They turned themselves away from the presence of God and the provision of God. And as a result of that, you want to know something? As a result of that, over 20,000, over 20,000, 23,000, verse 8, fell in a single day. In one single day, God killed 23,000. God let 23,000 go as a judgment. We don't read that side of the Bible, do we? <laughs> What's the lesson? Paul is trying to point that out. Paul is trying to say, look, they missed the boat somewhere. And he's looking at this church, Corinth, and what's going on? I mean, this Corinth, I mean, they're Christians, but he's learning. Like, man, they're going back to all sorts of stuff. Some of them got saved out of homosexuality. Some of them got saved out of just sexual immorality. Some of them got saved out of idolatry, drunkenness, revelry. That means all sorts of orgy parties where people are all, it's all free game. I mean, this is the stuff that they got saved. Corinth is a port city. You know port cities. All you got to do is go to Boston, go to New York, go to Seattle, go to San Francisco, the Bay, go to near L.A. It's happening always around port cities, right? Corinth is like a Bay Area or a New York City after 10 p.m. And God brought the gospel there and saved some folk. And they planted a church right there in this urban pocket. But the problem was they, felt they, be, they started filling the pool to go back like the children of Israel did. And he says, look, these things are included for us and in our instruction so that we might not go in their ways. And what does he say in verse 12? Look with me there. Therefore, in light of the lesson that we learn from Israel's past, 
from Israel's history with God and his dealings with them. Therefore, therefore, verse 12, let anyone, Corinth, pathway, let anyone who thinks that he stands, ah, nah, we good, we good. I know that was them, but that couldn't be me. I, I, I would never do that. He says, let anyone who thinks that they stand, take heed, lest they what? Lest they fall. Pride goes before destruction. That's what Proverbs says. Pride goes before destruction. As soon as I get, what is pride? Inordinate is self-esteem, right? Out of the ordinary estimation of myself. And he's saying, as soon as I start having that big head, as soon as I start having a wrong perception of myself, destruction is on its way. That's what happened with them. They were trusting in God and his ability to deliver them in the beginning. But as soon as they got into the wilderness, they grew cold. Not only did they grow cold toward God, they started ceasing to trust in his provision and his ability to see them through even the wilderness. And Paul is saying here, Corinth, I know you got out. I know you may have trusted in Jesus. I know you may have gone forward with baptism class. I know you put your faith in him, but it's not over yet. It's not over yet. You got to make sure that you look to him now. You got to look to him both in his person and you got to look to him with regard to his provision. You can't do this on your own. So what he says here in this beginning verse, what Paul is saying here is this. The moment I think I got it together is the moment in which I'm most likely to be in the worst shape imaginable. The people that I got, prob- I got concerns with or for, Aren't the people who come through the office or the people who come forward or the ones who are open and transparent and vulnerable and are just sharing with you and their lives are, you, it seems like, based on how much they're sharing, th- those people don't concern me. Why? Because I love something about that guy. He's real. He's in touch with his inadequacies. He's in touch with the fact that at any, but for the grace of God, go I. He's in touch with himself and with his shortcomings and recognizes all the more his need for God at every point of his spiritual journey. It's the person who I never hear anything from. It's like, how's it going? Good. Is there anything for it? No, I'm good. Everything's fine. We're good. And all of a sudden, it's like, for certain people, you got to wait for something to just crash. It's got to hit the news. It's got to go viral on Facebook, right, or, or somewhere. And then you're wondering, wait a second. Nobody falls just like that. There are a series of missteps that lead to falls. And what Paul is saying is a church community, a Christian community, is supposed to be a community where, well, what does James say? Look, let's confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. You see, we want to be a church where we can be honest with one another. Sure, it takes time. It takes trust. It takes that ability to be able to arrive at a point in a relationship with somebody where you feel open and inclined to want to share what's going on in your life. But, but at least it should exist because when it doesn't, we've got problems. And Paul looked at Corinth and he says, look, I know God has a lot of things in store for this church. I know God wants to see this church fruitful in this particular city, but it's going to take something. And what is that? A humility. A humility on the part of every single member of this church. 
When he says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, somebody who thinks that they stand is not humble. The person who, who thinks that they stand is somebody who, who's saying, oh, maybe other people, but not me. This may be her problem, but it could never be my problem. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you too be tempted. He's saying, look, even as you move into your brother's life to kind of say, yo, I'm seeing a couple of things, man. It's like they're concerning me. I just love you too much. I can't keep quiet like this. Right? Andy Minio, if you knew I was bugging and you stayed quiet. You know that hit? Is that what friends do? Isn't that the line? That's not what friends do. That's not what friends do. I love that line. They're always playing it in the house. That's not what friends do. A real friend knows if I'm bugging (laughs) to come alongside me and be like, man, I love you too much to allow this to go all the way. I need to speak into your life. And that's what Paul is doing. Why? Because he wants that to be an example for, for the whole church is we need to be a church that's prepared to speak into one another's lives. That's what family is. If a church ain't family, what is it? We're just like a, a, a social club. It's, it's just a building in which we, we pack it in and, and have a program, but after that, we're not involved in each other's lives, and that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died to be able to form a family where we're all brothers and sisters, equal, and involved in one another's lives, and there's one God and one Father over us all. And we look to him and to one another, hoping that as you see things, you're going to draw near in love. Remember, in a spirit of gentleness, in love. Notice he says here as we move forward in the passage that no temptation has overtaken you, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That is not common to human beings. Interesting. Why would he say this? I'll tell you why. What's the implication? It's this. Let's be honest. It kind of feels like it is. It kind of feels like when I'm going through a temptation, nobody else gets this. Nobody would understand. That's partly why we keep things to ourselves, don't we? Because we feel like we're the oddball. I mean, we're looking around, we're seeing hands raised, we're seeing people rocking, we're seeing people jumping up and down, involved and serving. They must have it together. They must not have any problems. They must have sorted all of this stuff out. I'm imagining even if I were to disclose, they'd probably look at me sideways. Why should I even bother sharing stuff like this? And what does Paul say here? No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. In other words, everybody gets it. You're not an oddball. We're all human beings. We're all fallen. We all live on this side of Genesis 3. We all got the same parents if we go far back enough. Adam and Eve. We all came from the same seed. We all got the same need. We all have the same Savior. No temptation, no trial has taken you except what's common to man. Why is that helpful? You know how it is because sometimes as soon as I see somebody stand up and, and give a testimony, I used to do such and such. I used to be at so-and-so, at but then God came in, and you're like, 
No way. Him? Her? Are you kidding me? You? So there is hope for me then. <laughs> so there is still an opportunity for someone like me because I was beginning, I haven't heard any of this from anybody else except me. And I was beginning to think, you know what? I'm different. I'm, I appreciate the fact that God's doing a work in these people's lives, but it just seems like it's this Jesus thing, not for me. It's for other people, not for me, because if you only knew. That's why Paul had to include this and say, you know what? No temptation has overtaken you. Whatever has overtaken you. In other words, it's calling the shots in your life. And you're feeling like, I'm not free. I'm not able to live out of my true self. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. Everybody else is in the same boat. Sure, it may not be the exact same sin, but we all struggle. And, and where I have weaknesses... You could bring your strengths into my life and hold me up. And where your weaknesses may be paramount, I could move in and help you and strengthen you in those particular areas. You see, when, when all the body is working rightly, that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12, is when one member of the body suffers, how many suffer? We all suffer. That's what he says. When one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. How can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? That's right, Paul, because as a body functioning rightly, we're all there for each other. And what may be my strength is not just my strength, it's my brother's strength. And what may be my sister's strength is not just her strength, it's also my strength. But it's only going to be so to the degree that I tap into it, which means there's got to be relationship. There's got to be community, life. There's got to be this sense in which we're involved and know enough in each other's life to where we know how to be in each other's life. So much so, so many times we don't know how to be in each other's life because we're not close enough. Proximity is what's going to lead to me being able to be available for my brother. Proximity. And Paul says here, that's where it begins. But notice he moves on and he, he, he appeals to the character of God. You, we don't overcome temptation by just saying, I can't. I shouldn't. I won't. How could I? I should know better. Uh, I'm a Christian after all. No, what does he say? He says, look, the key is what, what got you into trouble is by putting your eyes on yourself. What's going to get you out is not by focusing on yourself. It's going to be by focusing on God. Notice he says, God is faithful. What's that an appeal to? It's an appeal to the character of God. The way in which I overcome bad habits or struggles or flaws in my life is by focusing my attention on the character of God. The more I grow in my knowledge of who, just who God is, guess what? The less and less of a hold these previous things have on my life. The, here, here's another way of putting it. Why did they even have a place in my life to begin with? I wasn't seeing God rightly. I wasn't seeing him as I should. I was seeing my sin. I was seeing my struggles. I, were, I was seeing these things that wanted to overtake me, but I wasn't seeing God who wanted to overtake my life through his love. And so what's the key? It's not by just saying no, because some Christians, maybe you're here. and Maybe you do have that background where all you heard growing up was you shouldn't stop. No. 
And so much of your Christian life in the gospel is what you got to give up, and it's less of what you get in return. And what Paul is saying, look, if all you got in your gospel is what you got to give up, you're not going to get far. That's what the children of Israel had. They failed to realize what they got as a result of leaving Egypt. They got God. You get God himself. And everything that comes with God, his faithfulness. You see, he goes from telling you that no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. And all of a sudden he says, God is faithful. It's like, okay, how is that supposed to help me? Because look back at the, at, at the garden in Genesis chapter 3. How was it that the serpent was able to get in and tempt Adam and Eve? By distorting their picture of who? Of God. As soon as he got a foot in, cracked through the door, as soon as he got a foot, they should have just slammed it. He got his foot in there. He was able to open up the whole door and get in. And what was that foot in the door? It was putting into their mind, sowing into their mind, a misconstrued picture of just who God was. And as soon as they bought into that idea, he was in. He ain't never changed. He's got the same playbook, church. He's got the same program over and over again. That's why Paul says, we will not be ignorant of his wiles. Uh-uh. We know his game. And so the only way you and I are going to succeed and overcome this is by having a right picture of the character of God. God's faithful. Why is it important for me to know that God's faithful? Because he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. God won't. Why would Paul say that? Again, you know, when you're going through temptations, what does it feel like? This is beyond my ability. That's what the, temp the temptation has a message too. And it's saying, beyond your ability. And God is speaking from his word and he's saying, no, it's not. You're my child. I'll never introduce or permit something to come into your life that's beyond your ability. Rather, what I am going to do is make a way for you to escape that you may be able to endure it. Make a way for you to escape that you may be able to endure it. Some of you say, how can I get out of this relationship? I was born, I'm just stuck. I can't say no to him. I can't just walk away. It's been five years. I can't just leave that group. They'll think I'm rude and mean. I can't just leave that network of associates. I, I know it's destructive. I know it's toxic. I know it's unhealthy. I know nothing about that part of my life really is leading toward Christ and my betterment and me seeing more of him in my life. But you know, and God says, look, he won't allow you to have anything introduced into your life that's beyond your ability. That's good to know. That's good to know. You know who there is? To look to, because even when you feel like, I know I should be believing this, but I'm not. I know I have before, but I should be doing it more and more. You got Christ to look to. You see, friend, Jesus came. This is why there's hope in the gospel. This is why your God became a man. He didn't want to just save you from heaven. He didn't want to just look down and send salvation through a helicopter. No, he says, I'm coming myself. And before I ever die, I want to live in their place. The Bible tells us that you have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with your weaknesses, your temptations, Hebrews 4.14, but one who in every way was tempted 
like you are, yet without sin. God, Jesus, yes, was tempted in how many ways? Every way. Like who? You are, child of God, Christian. He was tempted in every way. Jesus says, send me there. I want to encounter and face everything that they're going to have to encounter and face while they're here on this earth. I don't want to just try to understand them from above. I want to identify with their lives. That's the God that we get to pray to. That's the God that we get to worship. When you open up your Bible and read it, this is why you should connect with this book is because the God behind this book is a God who came and suffered, and lived, and identified with you, and your weaknesses, and your struggles, and your sin, and your temptations. Not by sinning himself, but by allowing himself to be tempted in every way like you are. He didn't escape. In his humanity, he said, look, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but whose? Yours be done. You see, Jesus said, look, if I don't endure these temptations, she's not going to get saved. If I don't pass through this, they're not going to belong to me. Jesus did this out of love for you and for me. He went through this. And what helped him go through this? He saw his father as faithful. What strengthened Jesus' resolve, what enabled him to press through all of the temptations and the trials that he faced in his life was a picture of his God, his father, that he had all throughout his lifetime on this earth. But he's God, yes, but he was also man. But that's not fair, though. That's cheating. (laughs) He was also a man. And in his humanity, he had to live in submission to the father. He had to look to the father. He had to learn how to rely. He grew in wisdom and stature before God and man. Though he was a son, Hebrews 5, he had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered, the Bible tells us. Though he was the son, the son of God, he says, I still got to submit. My dad may own this company, but I still got to fill out an application and show up at the interview and and do my best so that I, I can, in the hopes, get hired on and go through the orientation. Jesus came. He says, I could have started out like this, but I wanted to experience everything that they pass through so that when they find themselves going through some stuff, they can know that they can come to me. They can know that they can go to me. They can know that I'm faithful, that I'm worthy. If you were this way to me while I was going through it, they have every reason to believe that you'll be this way for them while they're going through it in their lives. You see, God is faithful, friend. But notice as we come to a close, (laughs) notice what he says here. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape, but that's so that you may endure it. You see, God's definition of escape is not our definition of escape. God's picture of what escape looks like is not our picture of escape. I know some of us think escape for us is, uh, oh, so I could get out of this marriage. Oh, so I could leave these kids and just entrust them to somebody else. Or, oh, I, so I could just walk away from this job and just, oh, so I could just quit school. Or, oh, so I could just move across the country. Or, oh, so I could just, it's like, nope, that's not God's way of escape. That you may be able to what? Endure it. God has a way of showing up while nothing circumstantially changes in your life. 
God showed up in the wilderness. You see that? With the children of Israel. But they weren't prepared to see it and recognize it as coming from him. He's like, look, I'm the what? I'm the way maker. Isn't that what we sing? He's the way maker. But they weren't prepared to see it. They weren't prepared to recognize it. He's like, what you need food? I'll have food come here while you're in this wilderness from, from the skies. What, what, what do you need? Water? I can have water come out of a rock. You see, God was prepared. God's prepared to provide for us and meet all of our needs even while we're passing through some of the challenges that we're passing through. Let's look to him. Let's look to him, church, and know Whatever God's way is, look, his thoughts may not be our thoughts. His ways may not be our ways. But you know what? They're good because he's faithful. He's faithful. What does God want from this church? What does God want from me? What does God want from us? He wants us to trust in his character. This isn't about what I do for him. This is about what he's prepared to do for you and for me. But we've got to see him rightly. Where's the battle going to be won? Where is it going to be fought? This character. God's faithful in his person, and God's faithful in his provision. But that will mean nothing if I'm not availing myself to it. Paul said, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. By who? By Christ Jesus. God's prepared to supply. But that supply is only going to be tapped into if we're tapping into it and drawing from it. Drawing from it, his faithfulness, not another's, his faithfulness, his ability to hold us up, his ability to help us to endure through that situation. I know it's easy to want to get out. That's the easy route, but God's not into easy. God's into his son. God's into his glory. God's into his purposes. God's into what he's about that he'll disclose to us one step of the way. I know we want it all rolled out all at once so I could see how this is leading to that so that I could say, okay, I can see what you're up to. But that's not God, is it? He wants us to trust him. And as we trust him, he sheds light on each and every step along the way. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Just like how we started in our passage. We're going to stand. We're going to think we're standing. We're going to trust in ourselves. Oh, I know what God does. I know what God's up to. And he doesn't want that. He wants us to be the kind of people, no matter whether you're one year in the faith in this room, or maybe you're 30 years in the faith in this room. It doesn't matter where you are. You should have this childlike trust that never weans itself away from the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the provision of God, the person of God, the presence of God. You don't graduate from this. Israel was tempted. That's where their temptation was. They, they gave themselves a graduation. And he was like, who's graduating? <laughs> no, nobody gave me a card. Nobody told me. Who's graduating? You don't graduate. You better take that gown off and that hat. There's no graduations in this lifetime. We move forward. We move forward trusting in God. Can we stand together? And that's where I really would love for us to close. I want to ask you, if you're here today and perhaps you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, 
you've been around the church, you, you have people who are in your life who may be Christian, but as far as you're concerned, you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ yourself. You, there's no peace between you and God as far as you can tell. Not me or anybody else as far as you can tell. And you're somebody who wants to change all of that today. And you realize the only way that change is going to happen is by this life of yours being put into the hands of this God we've been talking about. And if that's you today and you're prepared to want to start a whole new path and a whole new journey with Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity. We want to give you an opportunity to know what it's like to have a faithful God in your life. No, that No matter what is going on in your life, he's always going to be trustworthy. To know that whatever may have stood between you and him up till now, all of that is going to come to an end simply because of what you are prepared to do with Jesus. You're prepared to trust in him. And if that's you, I'm going to have a time where I'm going to close in prayer. I want to invite you. I'll invite you up. Only if that's you, though. I want to invite you up, and we want to pray together with you and welcome you, welcome you and assure you of God's salvation and encourage you in this new life, this new path, this new journey where God's going to be all a part of it. But it begins with this first step of yours, committing your life to Jesus, into the hands of Jesus. For all the rest, you belong to God. And as far as you could tell, you're a Christian. And you know the Lord and you love Jesus. But you realize, you know what? These temptations have been something else. These struggles have been a whole nother thing. And you realize, man, I, I realize how much I've gotten away from, I don't know if I know God, really. I, 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 I don't know if I recognize him. Yeah, I could quote some stories from the Bible, but I, I don't know if I know him. I feel like I've lost sight of just who he is. It, it doesn't resonate with me. And I feel like, based on what I'm hearing, that's where everything is going to have to turn around. I need to see God again. I need to know him in this profound way again. We want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And we're going to have this opportunity. If coming forward means anything to you, that's wonderful. If not, right where you're at, we're going to pray anyways. God's, God's in all this space. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We draw near to you right now, God. God, we're closing in with you. This is your time, Lord. Holy Spirit, we want to see you. You're working. Work, 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 work. Please, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we... We come before you right here and right now in light of your word and ask for great grace for our lives. Lord, we're in a wilderness. David prayed in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's what this world is. It's a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the club. That's the high school, college campus. That's the job. That's the house. That's the cars. That's 
That's the vacation home. That's the getaway. That's the travels. It's like we think, okay, maybe if I travel, my life will change. Maybe if I get that getaway spot, my life will change. Maybe if I find the right woman, my life will change. Maybe if I get the right number of kids, my life will change. Maybe if I could do something about my income bracket, my life would change. And David says, it's a dry and weary land where no water is. It's a dry and weary land. Oh, God, I pray. I pray that we not do it to ourselves, but that we recognize right now you're here, you're present, you're in our midst, and you're, you're prepared to be all that and some for us if we would just but turn to you and trust in you. You're prepared to be everything, everything that we're trying to find in all these places and spaces. You already are it. You're it. You're the one. And we have you, God. And my prayer is, Lord God, that we would yield our hearts into your care and that you would help us to see you all over again. Open our eyes, not just our eyeballs, but the eyes of our hearts, as Paul prayed. We need to see you from within where it counts. Father, forgive us, but thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord God, that with you there's endless supply. There's provision that never runs out. And that's what I want this church to know. I want all of us to experientially know, Lord God. That's what's going to lead to our marriages thriving. That's what's going to lead to our lives and our singlehood Succeeding. That's what's going to lead to us being able to enjoy even the things of this world without making an idol out of them. Help us, Lord God, to put you in your rightful place in our lives. Do this, we pray. We thank you, we bless you, and we give you all the glory. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Hey, if you need prayer, um, if you just want somebody to just come alongside you and just hear your story, I, in a room this size with people, any number of things could be going on. I want you to know, we're not too quick to get out of here. We want to be there for you. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. And no matter how long it's going to take, if we've got to sit down and speak promises into your ear and into your heart, we'll do so. But this is a church where we're prepared to walk with you and journey together because Jesus is alive and well. Amen? Hey, greet one another, please. God bless you. <laughs> Is that...